Hi, it's Laurence Bradford. Welcome to season two of the Learn to Code With Me podcast, where I'm chatting with people who taught themselves how to code and are now doing amazing things with their newly found skills. Want to get into the most selective coding boot camps? Check out Flatiron School's bootcamp prep course. With over 70 hours of curriculum, you'll go from code newbie to acing the bootcamp admissions process. For a limited time, access the course for free. Head to flatironbootcampprep.com today. Zojo is a development tool for creating native apps for desktop, mobile, web, and Raspberry Pi. Zojo offers lots of resources to help you get started learning modern programming. Learn to Code With Me listeners get 20% off with the coupon LEARN20. Try Zojo for free at zojo.com forward slash learn to code. Zojo is spelled like X-O-J-O. Hey listeners, welcome to the Learn to Code With Me podcast. I'm your host, Laurence Bradford. In today's episode, I talk with Sarah Tan, a liberal arts graduate who transitioned into web development early in her career and now has 10 years of experience in the field. Sarah has worked in higher education, at digital agencies, and in politics. But most recently, Sarah went back to school to get her MBA. In our conversation, we discuss how Sarah first got into web development, how her career evolved over time, and what led her to go to business school. Remember, you can get show notes for this episode plus a full transcript at learntocodewith.me forward slash podcast. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, Lauren, it's great to be here. Could you introduce yourself really quick for the audience? Sure. Um, yeah, so I have a bit of a mixed background, um, personally as well as professionally. Uh, I'm originally from Singapore, and then I went to school in the U.S. Then I worked there for a little bit, and now I've been in the U.K. and London for about five years. And then um, when I was studying in the U.S., um, my major was linguistics, which doesn't sound, I mean, it's, it's not a tech degree, but when I was uh, studying in university, I was working at the Student Help Center, and that got me kickstarted on a tech degree, um, on a tech career. And that's basically how I sort of worked my way through um, using my non-tech major into uh, being a web developer, working in universities and for agencies. And now I've just finished my MBA, so um, I'm sort of starting a kind of a second career. In, in tech, but not coding per se. Yes, that is so awesome. And I was, I was saying to you before we hit the record button, I was on your LinkedIn and going through everything you've done in the past. And it's just so impressive. There's so much um, different kinds of experience you have to, to pick from. And I think you really probably have something that could be um, relatable to almost anyone listening because you've worked in academia, you've worked as a web developer, you've worked in politics, um, and you it looks like you've you even kind of run your own consulting business right now. So we'll definitely get into all that. I want to mention that before I forget, I did actually not realize you were from Singapore. And I did my entire senior thesis in college on um, Singapore's like economic development in the, oh gosh, I'm, I'm like spacing now. I think it was specifically in like the 50s and 60s. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a really interesting time period for the country. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I love, I, I've been to Singapore. I was actually trying to work in Singapore at one point. So I, I, huge fan of Singapore. Um, anyway, that's a little, <laughs> little bit unrelated there, but just, just wanted to throw that in. Okay. So you were, so when you first got interested in technology, you, it was through working at the help center at your college. Could you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, so this was like 2001 and 
people, like not everybody had a laptop, right? So the computer, um, there was a computer center in college and I got a work study job there. And it was based on um, like, I hadn't done that much in tech. I think I literally, literally had built a website with cat photos on it in like the AOL days. And, and but they were, they were so into taking people who were just willing to learn right? People who may not have had any kind of tech background. So in that sense, I had a little bit more than most. Um, and then it was just, it was saving data off of floppy disks, you know, corrupted data, senior theses, printer jams, really like basic kind of IT kind of stuff. And then I got an internship through the college webmaster. And so I specialized in web and I had two internships over two summers when I was an undergraduate. And that's what really got me going. So I worked part-time during the school year, then full-time over the summers. And I was just reading a lot of blogs. I did, you know, lots of reading on CSS, which was new at the time. And um, just just did stuff, right? Which is still how you learn now, right? You still learn by doing. But that was, that was a time when I had lots of dedicated hours um, to, to learning the sort of employable skill that I've had. Yeah, it's so funny. Uh, I'm thinking back when, you, when you're telling that story. I remember in college thinking like I didn't have a lot of time. And now when I look back at me, like at my time in college, I'm like, oh my gosh, I had nothing but time. <laughs> right. And um, I learned to, when I first began teaching myself how to code, it was not, not super similar, but I was living by myself in Thailand and I, I had a job. That's all I had. Like I literally had like no family and friends. So I actually had a ton of time outside of work. And that really allowed me to like dedicate tons of time to, to learning um, how to code and build websites and whatnot. So at any, in any, any event, when I was going through your LinkedIn, one thing that I thought was so interesting, uh, I saw that you wrote your college thesis on HTML in the context of natural language change. Yeah. So what was, because you said you were a linguist major, so then, and then you kind of combined like the web and HTML. Like, could, if you maybe, I don't know, I, I, it was a bit ago, but if you could recall what was, um, yeah, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's kind of an interesting topic even now. Um, it's a little bit outdated, but regardless, so HTML, just because of the way that the web developed, you know, with Tim Berners-Lee and the browser wars of the 90s, there was a lot of one-upmanship and browsers essentially drove the development of the language. So HTML ended up evolving in this very fluid way, which is how natural languages evolve. If you look at, you know, Beowulf and Old English to Shakespeare to modern English now, there's a clear continuum, but also it doesn't happen because someone says, okay, now we're going to go to English 3.0, and then in 100 years we're going to go to English 4.0. But that's how most computer languages actually develop, right? Like Python or um, Perl or JavaScript. There are actually versions, right? ECMA mm -hmm. script 6. So um, there, I was just comparing the difference in how HTML being a computer language still developed in a way very much like natural languages as opposed to in a versioned way. That is like, that's like the coolest thing ever. Actually, when I read that, because I, I read it on your LinkedIn, I wasn't really sure what it meant. And now that I hear you explain it, that it's, that's like completely fascinating. Um, like the, like the comparisons and no, you're so right. Like you think of 
well, with English language, I just think of like all the slang terms that come out or that, that you know, that, that get put into use. And I, I always find myself like Googling like a word I hear in this song or so you, some YouTube video. I have no idea what it means. <laughs> yeah, I can tell that I'm getting a little bit old like the more that I have to use Urban Dictionary. It's, oh my gosh. So yes, I was going to say that. That's yes, all the time. I'm, I'm like, what does this word mean? Like, I, I think I know what it means, but and then I'm usually totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, or maybe not totally. I'm a bit wrong. I'm like, oh, okay. Hmm. All right. That's what that means. Um, anyway. Okay. So, so that, that's super interesting. And then after college, it, it looks like you went back to school a few, and, and of course, just most recently with your MBA, but you studied a few things, right? Yeah, I have, I have a bit of excessive education. If you look <laughs> at my resume. Um, so immediately after college, I did a one-year master's in linguistics because that was obviously, uh, it wasn't really my career trajectory, but I felt, and my family really pushed me to do a master's just so that I had that credential. And of course, the only thing that I was qualified to get a master's in was linguistics. Mm-hmm. So I did that. Um, and then I started working and I was working at Harvard. So higher education institution, most universities have a tuition benefit and, and Harvard's no exception. So I did a part-time master's degree in digital media while I was at Harvard through the Harvard Continuing Education Division. And so that's how I got my second master's, which was in digital media. And I would say the purpose of that was mostly to feel like I had a credential in my field, right? Because previously I just was, I had two linguistics degrees, but nothing that had anything to do with technology or with code. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was my way of sort of justifying to myself. I did learn a lot um, of what some of it's outdated, like that with classes in Flash. But the big thing I would say that I took away from that degree was the master's thesis. So I, well, I wrote, you know, a, a full thesis, but part of that was writing a web app and then writing a thesis about the web app and the process of creating it, sort of the sociological reason that it needed to happen. It's basically a product management thesis. And one thing that's um, going back to the earlier part of our conversation about how you how you learn, right, and how you have these blocks of time, especially when you're younger, when you're in university. Mm-hmm. At this point, I wasn't, right? So I was, I was married and I was working full time. And in order to do that kind of like, extracurricular work, like a thesis is so much work. Um, I really had to have a huge amount of support. So I was able to carve out the time because my husband made dinner. And when it got really down to the wire, I just couldn't actually balance everything. And so I ended up going part time from my job for 10 weeks. And they were really flexible about it. And that's really the only way I was able to get through Wow. So we, uh, sorry, I just want to pause. This was at Harvard. You st- we're, we're talking about. Right. Um, okay. Got it. Got it. And you were there. So you were working there initially, and then you took advantage of their their. Uh, I'm sorry. What what was the, what was the word? It, the continuing education program. Yeah, the employee tuition benefit. Got it. Employee tuition benefit. Okay. Awesome. So you were doing that, and then. And then you ended up finishing, but you say, okay, the last 10 weeks you began working part-time. Yeah, that's insane. So you were working full-time, going to school pretty much full-time. Yeah, technically it's part-time, but whenever you get to the thesis point, the thesis just takes over your life. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, wow. Yeah, no, that's really impressive. And you, in again, looking at your LinkedIn, you, you finished that then in, in 2014. Yeah. 
So not too long ago, like three years ago. Yeah, I finished it and I said, I am never going back to school again. But then you went back. Right? <laughs> went back. back. So, so what happened between then, right? No, no I mean, between, between the, uh, 2014 and then, then when you uh, went to get an MBA. Yeah, which was actually only in 2015. So, um, well, I changed my mind. And part of it was that I really don't think I could ever do a part-time degree with a full-time job. That is a particular kind of balancing act that is um, just so difficult. And, and I don't even have children, so I don't know how parents do it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but so when I did the MBA, it was a full-time program. And so I just, you know, left everything behind. So I, I quit my job. I actually quit my job not long after finishing my Harvard degree. And then I did freelancing for a year, which is when I did all my political work. Um, so then when I did the MBA, um, I had wrapped all that up as well went full time into that and then um just had just had the MBA experience uh, which is it's own intense thing because I also did a one year MBA and most especially in the US most are two years so I did it in the UK um most european MBAs are one year or 18 months but regardless they they take all the same information it's just a lot less um free time <laughs> the sort of like traditional U.S. MBA experience where you hear about a lot of partying, a lot of travel, there's just less of that or it's more compressed in the European MBA. Yeah, I'm really not too familiar with European MBAs. And I should, I, I'm not even super, super familiar with MBAs programs in the U.S. But I do think, um, you know, I, I, I think it's super interesting. I'm sure, and I'm sure there are people listening who either have an MBA right now, but want to start working in tech mm -hmm. or work in tech and are considering getting an MBA. So I'm just curious, like, what were some specific advantages? Maybe like, especially now that you're, I, I, are you, are you done or you're almost done with, with the program? I'm, I'm just recently done. Just, okay. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> so I guess now that you're done and you made it through, um, if, for, let's start with a person who is thinking about an MBA and maybe they work in tech or or about to work in tech or what have you. What kind of um, considerations do you think that person should make before committing themselves to that? I think the first thing is obviously what you want to get out of it. Um, I think there's, there's this unspoken aspect to people who decide to do an MBA, who've been working before and then go and do an MBA, which is that it's not a bad thing. Right, but there's something that they're a little bit dissatisfied with, or a lot dissatisfied with. Right, if you were completely happy, then you would just keep going with exactly what you were doing. Right, but maybe you want to change at least one thing. Right, a role or a level or um, a geography. And everybody who goes to do an MBA wants some kind of change as a result. Right, obviously it's a big investment, whether or not you're paying mm -hmm. for it completely yourself or you're sponsored by a company. And so if I would say make sure that the MBA, as much as you can ahead of time, is the right way to make that change. Because, for example, for a long time I was looking at going into product management, and I still kind of am interested in it. But right now I think immediately post-MBA, and we can talk about this in a little bit, that's not my immediate next step. But for going into product management from development, it's it seems like it's not that much of a change, but in order for people to give you a chance, that's what you really need. And it's much easier, especially in retrospect, to make that kind of change internally. If you're you know, going from a developer to being a product manager in the same company, people already know you, 
people um, will give you a chance and they'll give you that training and mentorship. Trying to get that when you're coming in brand new from outside of the company is a lot more difficult. So an MBA can help in lots of lots of other ways, but getting an in to a brand new role is not necessarily one of them. Sit tight, podcast listeners. We're taking a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Flatiron School's online web developer program equips you with the skills to get a job as a developer, guaranteed. You'll learn to code with real developer tools in a rigorous 800 plus hour curriculum that covers the programming languages you'll need on the job. Flatiron's 98% job placement rate and their job guarantee mean you can change careers with confidence. Flatiron is offering Learn to Co with Me listeners $500 off your first month of the program. Head to flatironbootcampprep.com to start learning to code and to redeem the discount when you apply. Again, the URL is flatironbootcampprep.com. Not ready for a coding bootcamp, but still want to learn how to code? Dive into JavaScript, Ruby, Swift, and HTML and CSS with Flatiron School's free online courses and certificate programs. Zoja was a cross-platform development tool for creating native apps for desktop, mobile, web, and Raspberry Pi. With Zojo, you really can write just one version of your app, say, on a Mac, click a button, and have a completely native Windows version too. Zojo lets you abstract yourself from specific platform details so you can focus on what makes your app unique. All apps have completely native controls, even if they weren't developed on that platform. Just use drag and drop to create your user interface in one language to program the functionality. Zojo is perfect for people who aren't programmers by trade, but who learn to program to make their jobs easier. Users also include Fortune 500 companies, commercial developers, IT developers, hobbyists, and students. Anyone who wants to build apps faster. Learn to Code With Me listeners get 20% off with the coupon code LEARN20. Try Zojo free at zojo.com forward slash learn to code. Yeah, yeah, that's super. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I'm trying to rephrase what you said, but you're, you said getting an MBA can help you get an end for a new role? It will, it will help you position yourself differently, but people are still going to have to take a chance on you, right? In the same way that they will for any new hire, right? You're always taking a chance when you're in the position of hiring someone, right? You do the interviews, and, um, and at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of a best guess. On both yeah, sides. Yeah, yeah. So and so the thing I, is if, that if you can do an internal transfer, if that's all that you're looking for, then I would say the MBA is not a cure-all for that particular kind of switch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that definitely makes sense. I mean, the example that you gave, like for a product, someone who is a developer to become a product product manager at the same company, they already have like that trust and they already know their peers. And it would probably be easier to make that switch than someone coming from like the outside as a new hire. Uh, I'm just curious, where, are people in your MBA program, um, is it like tech specific at all? Or is it all kinds of people um, like wanting to work, I guess, in like leadership and business? It's all kinds of people. Um, the traditional MBA profiles, people in finance and consulting, and there's definitely some of that in my program. But my program, the reason I chose it um, is at the University of Cambridge, and it's a little bit more entrepreneurial and a little bit more um, tech-savvy. So it's not to say that the traditional 
industries aren't represented, but the percentage is a little bit smaller. So I would say it's about half as opposed to like 80%. Mm, interesting, interesting. And what, I guess it may be different depending on where a person is based, like US versus UK versus, you know, another country, but what was the application process like? For Cambridge, it's really straightforward. So you have, you know, an actual application, you take the GMAT or the GRE, and then um, okay. it's a couple of essays, it's all your academic transcripts, and it's a recommendation um, from, I think it's an immediate supervisor who ideally is current, but if you're in a tricky situation where you don't want to let your manager know that you are thinking of leaving, then it could be a previous supervisor. Got it. Yeah, I think that's maybe somewhat similar to the U.S. I was actually thinking more along the lines of the tests, like the GMAT and GRE, but I know in the U.S. those are the, the two main ones here. Yeah, and then, uh, and then well. of course, there's an in-person interview if possible, and if it's not possible, then they'll do it on Skype. Yeah, yeah. So uh, were you, when you were... Um, looking at programs, did you apply to many or only like a handful? I actually only applied to one and um, oh, wow. it just turned out that I got in. I, I did sort of leave a little bit of room for hedging, so I applied quite early. And if they hadn't accepted me, then I could have used the opportunity to apply for others. But Cambridge was my top choice because of a lot of the reasons that we just mentioned about the representation of other students. And so yeah. I was lucky that I got in. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, con- yeah. Congrats on that too, because uh, I, I know I hear a story or you know people applying. Maybe I'm thinking more law school, but maybe business schools too, where people are applying to like twenty, thirty different different schools. I'm like, oh my good, like that in itself sounds like a job, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, definitely studying for the GRE was was a huge job in and of itself. Oh my goodness. Oh god. Yeah, that bringing back flashbacks because I actually was studying for a GR before before I began learning how to code. I was studying for the GRE a lot. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, bringing back memories. <laughs> any, in any case, so so while uh, I think it was this last summer, you interned at Google then. Yeah, just this past summer. So that ended a couple months ago. Awesome. So what was that like? What did you do? What did you do there? How did you get there? Yeah. So during the MBA, um, especially the Cambridge one, it has a couple of opportunities to work for different companies, and just well, I don't know if it's by luck or a little bit of planning. But I ended up working for pretty big tech companies doing non-tech things. So I, would, I did a consulting project for Salesforce, and then there was an internship at Google. And by coincidence, they ended up being a little bit similar in terms of topic. So it was sales operations, looking at particular sales teams at both companies, analyzing their processes, and then seeing how they could be more efficient so they could spend time, spend more time with clients and then use that time more effectively. And a part of it was an experiment that I wanted to do personally to see, okay, you know, I came from a tech background. I've been working all my career in, in programming, right, in like really heavy tech. So like how far away did I want to go? Like, did I want to use the MBA as an opportunity to go into something like consulting, strategy consulting, where you don't need any kind of tech background? Or um, did I want to go part way? So this, these two projects were an opportunity for me to go to tech companies in the in the sales side and see like how much of that tech culture carries over and how happy am I in those kinds of projects. And so what I learned from it is that I was able to apply a lot of my systems thinking, a lot of my logic and procedures and process <clears throat> um, into those kinds of projects. 
But the culture is totally different, right? The culture of a sales team is really different from the culture of an engineering team. And at heart, mm. I still really am an engineer. Like, I still want to wear nerdy hoodies. Like, I have an XKCD hoodie. And, like, I just enjoy that people get those kinds of references. Um, or just <clears throat> making comparisons to to code or to um, just, like, jargony things, like functions. And, you know, in a sales team, that's just not their lingo. So it made me feel like I did know where quote-unquote home is, and home is not in a tech company, not in the tech side. Home is still on the yeah, tech side. Yeah, yeah this, is, um, this is actually reminding me that story. If anyone has watched Silicon Valley, there's, a, there's an episode where it's like the engineers and the sales team, and like they're, they're like, the, those people aren't engineers. It's like the sales team. I don't know. It's, it's a funny scene if, if any of the listeners uh, have watched that. But in any, in any case, um, and as you're, as you're speaking about the internship at Google, I completely realized that we have not talked at all about your time spent as a web developer. <laughs> I, and, I, and I'm la- and I'm sort of laughing, but actually, it, it's been so interesting to hear your perspective on the MBA because I think you're like the first person I've had on the show, at least that has recently gotten an MBA that they plan on like, you know, like 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 using. I mean, there's maybe been some people that got an MBA and then decide to switch later. I, I, I'm not 100 percent certain. Um, however, I, so could we just like rewind real quick so you just talk a bit about your experience as a software engineer and when was this in your like career like was this before you worked at Harvard correct no when I when I was working at Harvard that was my first real job oh you were a web developer at Harvard that's right okay yes I see that sorry yes I did see that I remember now and you were oh yes web developer for four years okay so you were in which site were you building or which which like what product were you working on for them so I worked on the continuing education sites just kind of coincidental. That's where also where I also got my masters, because uh, that's you know where you can take classes as a Harvard employee. So I worked on what they call the extension school, which is part-time programs and non-traditional students. So for example, undergraduates who are not 18 years old, right, who have like gone and worked and then want to go and back and get their bachelor's degree, or people who are working and want to do part-time masters, which is exactly what I did. Um, also they run like the, the high school summer camps and they have an institute for learning and retirement, which I think is really cool. So if you're local to the Boston or Cambridge area and you're, I don't know, 65 and in that retired phase, but you want to have a community of other active learners, then they offer programs where you can meet up with other people in your age group and, you know, discuss literature or history. Uh, and so, okay, so this was, so you, okay, so you went to, Okay, you you got your bachelor's in linguistics, and then you got a master's in linguistics. Then you became a web developer. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like there's this drastic shift, but because, as I told you, I'd been working as a web intern when I was an undergrad. Yeah, at the Help help Center at your college. Okay, so that's your first introduction with with tech was back. I think you said like two thousand one, um, back in in your in your undergrad, and then I, I'm assuming throughout that time you continued to like tinker and whatnot with computers and building websites. Yeah, yeah, and I actually helped to teach some courses when I was doing my um, doing my masters in linguistics at the computer center there. Okay, I actually see that now. I'm back on your LinkedIn, the IT support officer. Okay, awesome. And then that led into your um, position at Harvard, where you were a web developer. Uh, and following that, you did some consulting, and I see a bunch of different things here, and some things with, polit- um, with, with related to politics and, and uh, Salesforce, which you which you mentioned how that then ended up kind of 
helping you maybe get the the role at Google because it was sort of similar similar projects. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, but in between yeah. actually. Um, so after Harvard, the thing about Harvard is that I was a web developer in a marketing team, and it was kind of an old school setup because it was really print marketing, and then the website was just the online version of the print catalog. So I mean, it was fine for a number of years. And it was definitely great to get my foot in the door. But I didn't have a team of other developers to learn from and to develop with. So um, in 2009, I got a job at an agency. And so um, I started out being a web developer there. There was a whole team of developers. And it was a really great experience working with people who were not situated in the same office because we were distributed around five offices, but still working on the same kinds of projects. And I was there for almost five years. And during that time, I started managing um, first half of the team and then gradually took over the whole team. And also during that time, I moved from Boston to London. So there were a bunch of transitions while I was in that job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so that's so interesting. And you, it's so impressive to me that you, you ha- were able to... Um, consult at such big companies and and universities. I see MIT listed here as well. I think that's like so impressive. And we're starting to run a bit low on time, but I would love if you could give um, the listeners some advice on getting these, the, this, these kinds of contract projects. I think it's a lot about people, right? So basically, aside from, well, aside from my two full-time jobs, right? So Harvard and Blue State Digital, the agency that I was with, those I just applied on the website and then, you know, got interviews and then got the job. So those were like those kind of black box thing that people tend to say doesn't work, but actually worked for me quite well there. But all the rest of them um, have all been through contacts. So MIT was because I knew a guy who was on the web team there, and he's actually the guy who taught me my very first CSS when I was an undergraduate. So he moved from my undergraduate college to MIT. And then in that time, I had, you know, gone to a few different places, ended up also in Boston. So we reconnected and he said, hey, you know, I've got this website project. Do you want to work on it? And that's basically how I got it. And I've been working with working with MIT ever since. It's been something like six years. And he's actually moved on to another organization. But I still have the relationship there. Oh, wow. And um, yeah. and I guess I'll talk, I can, this could be how we, we end the conversation um, in terms of what I'm doing right now. Um, so I'm working with um, an organization called Ada College, named obviously for Ada Lovelace. And uh, it's in London. It's a new school for 16 to 19 year olds. And in addition to the regular educational curriculum, you know, the math, the English, the physics, it also teaches digital skills. And so I'm helping them out with basically everything web. It's it's a school, it's a full school, but it's also kind of in startup mode. So in that way, I don't have sort of an official job title, but I'm helping them with the website redesign and sort of digital operations. And the way that I got that is that I went to a Harvard alumni networking night in London in maybe January of this year, so almost a year ago and randomly happened to bump into the CEO of the school. And so we started talking, right? I said, like, who are you and what do you do, vice versa. And it just so happened that I had heard of the organization maybe two weeks before. And I'd done a little bit of research because it's, an, it's a really interesting proposition, right? It lines up 
so much with everything in my background, with education, with women in tech, um, with uh, general diversity initiatives. And so I done that, I don't know, a couple of Google searches and that was it. But when I met him that night, I said, oh, I've heard about this and, you know, sort of regurgitated a few facts that I'd found. And, and this obviously made him remember me. So we stayed in touch and thought about engaging in some contract work over the summer, but then the Google thing happened. So then when Google finished, he got in touch with me again, and this time I was free. So now I'm working with them, and, and it's all because of random coincidences, but it's all about keeping your eyes open. Yeah, I love that. And I, I think seriously, every single guest that has come on the show in one way or another has talked about the importance of having a personal network and building your the community around you. So I cannot agree more. It's definitely or definitely who you know plays such an important part in getting these different kinds of opportunities, whether it's full time, whether it's contract work um, or, or anything in between. Um, so thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on and talking and sharing about your internship at Google and your MBA experience and how you were um, a web developer before that at Harvard. That's It's all such interesting stuff. Finally, where can people find you online? Well, we've mentioned a few times this call. I think um, LinkedIn is really a good place. Um, and then I'm also on Twitter. Um, uh, well, it's hard to spell. Wisdom, W-I-S-T-D-O-M. Awesome. Wisdom. Okay, great. We'll definitely include that in the show notes and other links that you mentioned on the call. Thank you again for coming on. Thanks, Lawrence. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Again, the show notes for this episode plus a full transcript can be found at learntocodewith.me forward slash podcast. If you're listening to this episode in the future, Simply click the search icon in the upper navigation of the website and type in Sarah's name. It should show up right at the top of the results. If you like to learn to code with me podcast, make sure you leave a rating and review in whichever podcast app you're tuning in on. Seriously, your feedback helps the show so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you next week.